This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Avocado Green Mattress, makers of the 100% organic certified avocado mattress. And maybe, like me, you've never really thought about what exactly goes into the piece of furniture you put inches from your face for hours every night. I have to admit, I never thought that a mattress could have potential, let's say, negative health effects. Well, you know, so many mattresses are made with petroleum-based polyurethane foam, and then they're put together with all sorts of chemical adhesives. This is Mark Abriel, one of the founders of Avocado Green Mattress. Those chemicals, Mark says, are very prone to emitting volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. Which people know is off-gassing. And they can cause all sorts of health issues, everything from irritations to asthmas to more serious issues. Which is why Avocado decided to do things differently. Not only producing a 100% organic mattress, but creating a sustainable, socially responsible product by introducing the idea of farm to bedroom. The idea of farm to bedroom is that we control the process from start to finish. So we use latex in our mattress. And so by actually owning the plantations and owning the facility that processes the latex, we can control it from where it's actually grown and harvested and processed all the way through to the end product, which would be our our finished mattress. And it's not just the latex. They even have their own sheep herds to harvest wool. Uh, I mean, people wouldn't think about it, but our mattress is actually an organic certified product, um, just like something that you might find at Whole Foods. So if you want to feel as good sleeping as you do eating an organic garden salad, don't forget the avocado. Mattress. See what I did there? Visit avocadogreenmattress.com to learn more. And to save $175 on any mattress, use the code OUTSIDE175 at checkout. That's OUTSIDE175. From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. For a good number of travelers... The ultimate bucket list experience is swimming with whales. There's something about the idea of being in the water or under the water with these enormous creatures that calls to people. And if you talk to someone who has swam with whales, especially someone who just recently swam with whales, there's a good chance they'll tell you it changed their life. This is true even for veteran adventurers who've seen it all. People like Outside Magazine contributing editor Rowan Jacobson, whose past assignments for us include a journey to the Amazon to seek out the source of the world's greatest chocolate. Last fall, Rowan joined a small crew in the Caribbean that was filming and studying sperm whales by getting in the water with them. As he writes in his feature story in Outside's June-July issue, he had no delusions that swimming with the animals would heal him or transform him. But he was intensely curious and certain that he would learn something from being very, very close to these legendary giants of the sea. I'll let Rowan take it from here. It's an early November morning, and I'm in a sport fishing boat a few miles off the coast of Dominica, an island in the Caribbean between Martinique and Guadeloupe. It's basically this giant mountain in the sea. It's super green, super beautiful. And right now the sun is rising above it, the air is calm, and the sea is crazy blue. If all goes well, 
I'll soon be in that sea with some of the sperm whales that live off Dominica's coast. I'm with Pernell Francis, a sperm whale expert from the island, and Galen Rosenwax, who's, well, best to let her describe herself. I'm a marine scientist, photographer, and filmmaker, ocean storyteller, explorer, hard to define by one word. Galen has a company called Global Ocean Exploration that tells the stories of scientific expeditions through words, photographs, and video. She's documented trips to the Arctic. She's made a short film about Carl's and Palau. And she's been to the bottom of Belize's blue hole in a submarine. She gets around. Her new film project is about sperm whales. Dominica is one of the best places on Earth to find them. For that, though, we're counting on Pernell Francis, a local Dominican who's been tracking them in these waters for 16 years. To do that, he uses a hydrophone, which is an underwater microphone. It's like a little satellite dish on the end of a long handle that you can lower into the water, and then you listen through headphones. Okay, so right now I basically have the hydrophone in, and I'm trying to locate uh, the echolocation songs of the sperm whales. Okay, so it basically gives me the general direction of where the loudest songs are coming from once I hear them. Sperm whales communicate through this complex language of sonic clicks. They can hear each other across miles of ocean. And Purnell's actually been called the whale whisperer for his ability to distinguish these sounds from the background crackle of the sea. And basically he'll turn it every direction that he thinks the whales could be. So we're three miles offshore. So we'll serve north, south, east, west. And then um, that'll de- if he hears whales, that'll determine which way we go. And how are you feeling? I feel like you feeling optimistic? I'm really optimistic. I'm always optimistic. Yeah? Yeah. It's a beautiful day, nice and calm. We'll be able to see the whales on the surface. So, I'm optimistic. I think, you know, not like overly optimistic, but to hear it like the first time would be like too good to be true. So, you know, maybe the second time. Yeah, so you're not expecting anything this time? Low expectations. Kind of like the saying, you know. Under promise and over deliver. So those tempered expectations are because of last year, when she first tried to make this film. She booked five days with Purnell, lined up the necessary permits, all of which runs like 3000 bucks a day, and got skunked. It rained like hell, and the whales just weren't around. I'd met Galen a few months earlier at an ocean plastic summit. She told me about this project, and I pretty much begged my way aboard. I'd been fascinated by sperm whales since I read Moby Dick as a teenager. They just seemed so extreme. They're the largest toothed whales and the only ones to have ever sunk a ship. Moby Dick, in fact, was based on a real incident in which a very angry 85-foot sperm whale destroyed a whaling ship. They're also the ultimate freedivers. They can plunge a mile deep in search of squid, using their echolocation like sonar to find their prey in total darkness. To help amplify those sounds, their heads are filled with a viscous oil called spermaceti oil. And that's what made them the prime target of whalers. It was the perfect lubricant, and it was used in mills, locomotives, sewing machines, you name it. It greased the Industrial Revolution, and sperm whales were hunted all the way into the 1980s, which greatly reduced their numbers. Sperm whales also have the largest brains on the planet, five times the size of our own. And the parts devoted to things like language and emotion and social interaction are really robust. They live in these close-knit family groups of grandmothers, mothers, aunties, and kids. The males leave the groups when they're mature and roam the oceans. But the females stick with their families for life, and they're pretty tight. They babysit each other's kids. They even nurse nephews and nieces. So instead of sending whalers after them, we probably should have sent anthropologists. And in a way, that's what this trip is about. Galen wants people to get to know them a little bit. Now we just need to find them. 
I try to read Purnell's face as he listens through the headphones, but he's not giving anything away. Finally, he looks up, and the verdict isn't good. All right, Purnell, what's the, what's the word? Okay, so the first station is relatively quiet, so there's nothing within uh, three, three and a half miles of the hydrophone. So we're going to keep going north, and we're going to do another station shortly. We all sag a little, but hey, it's still early. We motor through the morning. Our captain, Jerry, is playing some reggae through the ship's speakers. The day's heating up. Clouds are forming over the island's peaks. Dominica is surrounded by these deep underwater canyons filled with squid, which is the whale's favorite food. When they hunt, the whales stay down for nearly an hour. Then they'll come to the surface, catch their breath for 10 minutes, then do it all over again. Purnell has to track their sounds, then position the boat where he thinks they might come up. And how did you get involved with all this to begin with? Oh, man. Crazy story. So uh, before I started... Uh... Like being out being on the ocean, I worked at a local brewery, and then I lost that job. And then I had a friend of mine that we used to hang out that worked at a dive shop. And he's like, okay, I'm going to get you a job at the dive shop. So he, he got me an interview with the guy that was running the dive shop. The guy called me in, and on my very first day, here walks in Shane Garrow, my very first day at the job. Shane Garrow is the founder of the Dominica Sperm Whale Project which has been studying these whales since 2005. And uh, he wanted to charter the little Boston whaler that, that the dive shop had. But uh, none of the guys in the dive shop wanted to go out with him because they all wanted to do the cruise ship tours and get the tips. <laughs> so the boss looked at me and he's like, OK, you are with Shane today. At that time, Purnell had never even driven a boat before. But Garrow said, no worries, you'll learn. And uh, we encountered a huge group of whales, huge. She looked at me and he's like, man, you're good luck. Purnell began working regularly with the sperm whale project and learning the research protocols. Eventually, he became so well-known for his whale whispering that he started his own guide service. Now his client list is like a who's who of great marine wildlife photographers. He's even become a member of New York's Explorers Club, which is where he met Galen. Galen herself has been obsessed with sperm whales since childhood. When a juvenile sperm whale tried to beach himself on Long Island, where she lived, the whale was sick so people towed it to a nearby boat basin and tried to rejuvenate it. The whale became a national sensation and got nicknamed Feisty, which is short for Physeter macrocephalus, the scientific name for sperm whales. Thousands of people came to see the whale, including Galen and her mom, Stacy, who's also on the boat with us, and we'll be shooting a second camera for the film. They had him in a, a pen, like a little... Uh, blocked off area where they normally keep boats and things but it was for feisty at this point and you'd stand on the side but you'd be right there next to him i mean you could see him you could smell his breath see his spray at the time there had never been a successful rescue of a sick whale and the prognosis for feisty was not good they were trying to figure out what was wrong with it they knew it had a problem but they couldn't get a blood sample from it because they can retract their veins so they can't draw the blood so finally they swabbed its blowhole and figured out that it had a pneumonia. So they had to try to give it antibiotics. So what they did is they put the uh, penicillin inside squid and tried to feed it, but it refused feeding at first. Finally it got used to one of the vets that in a wetsuit was in the pen with it and got it to start taking the squid with the penicillin. And then uh, it worked. And Feisty got better and got stronger. And as soon as he was strong enough, they let him back out to sea. And uh, he swam away. That was 1981. Thousands of sperm whales were still being harpooned and turned into engine grease. 
but the Save the Whales movement was gaining strength. Today, like most other whale species, sperm whales are protected by an international moratorium on commercial whaling. But that doesn't mean they're safe. Many die from ship strikes and fishing gear entanglement. And an increasing number have been washing up worldwide with bellies full of plastic. Our relationship with them has definitely improved since the days of Moby Dick, but it's still pretty dysfunctional. Late in the morning, we stop so Purnell can get out the hydrophone. And I can't help but notice that it's homemade and seems to have a metal salad bowl for a dish. I won't treat that salad bowl hydrophone for the world. <laughs> it's, it's very well designed, I must say. So it's a pin pool, and there's like a frame, and the salad bowl is mounted on it. It's all covered with neoprene, and there's a slot where the, the, the hydrophone actually slots in. And uh, what makes it so unique is that uh, because it's not like very wide, it's pinpoint. Uh, yeah. Is it very clear when you hear them? All depends to uh, how far they are away from me. The closer they are, the lower I'm going to pick them up on the hydrophone. Purnell lowers the hydrophone into the water, and we all get real quiet. Uh, I, I got him. Where? West. West? Yeah. We'll get him. To find sperm whales, you start off with hydrophones, but once you get close, it's just good old-fashioned, thar she blows. We run a few miles, and then Purnell spots two white choo-choo puffs above the surface, and we close in. Most of the whales I've seen in my life up to now have been humpbacks, and these look nothing like that. They actually remind me of U-boats. Two neoprene gray cylinders gliding just beneath the surface. The bulbs of their blowholes rising and falling as they swim. Jerry passes them in the boat, a little off to the side. So what's your strategy? You try to um, position yourself in front of the whale, but not directly in front of the whale? Not directly in front of it, up to the side of it. And um, I just stay to the side of it. I try never to cut it path, you know? For the sake of the whale? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want it to change its course, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys. Go! Galen jumps off the back of the boat, camera out front. Stacy follows. I yank on my fins and mask and flop over the side with a GoPro. Purnell has briefed us on whale etiquette. Don't chase them. You might spook them, and besides, they're way too fast. Let them come to you. Usually they won't. But every now and then, they get curious. Be ready. So I expect to see a couple of tails in the distance, waving goodbye. But instead, I see a submarine headed straight toward Galen. And just when I think it's going to ram into her, it slides by. And you can just tell they're having some sort of a moment. And then it heads for me. I'm frozen in the water. And it glides by like a silent freight train, close enough to touch. The huge eye settles on me. And I get this deep sense that I'm being checked out by this calm and confident intelligence. And then she flicks her tail, and she's gone. At the top of the episode, my colleague Robbie Carver talked with Avocado Green Mattress founder Mark Abriel about the company's commitment to creating sustainable, socially responsible products, which they achieve by controlling their entire production process. That same process is behind their newest offering, an organic meditation pillow. 
This is the sound of me sitting down to meditate, which, like a lot of people, I'm doing more of lately. For me, the hardest part is getting started. Everything has to feel just right before I can really quiet my mind. This is where the meditation pillow comes in. It's the perfect height to support a comfortable position for a long sit, no matter how you practice. The cover of the pillow is made from 100% organic cotton, certified by the Global Organic Textile Standard, the leading standard for organic fibers, including ecological and social criteria. Inside, it's stuffed with all natural buckwheat hulls. Like everything from Avocado Green Mattress, it's handcrafted in Los Angeles. For a fussy meditator like me, knowing that I'm sitting on a pillow that's free of flame retardants, formaldehyde, and other nasty chemicals, all that matters, and I need every bit of help I can get. <sighs> Visit avocadomattress.com to learn more about their organic meditation pillow and all of their products designed for a more sustainable world. After our close encounter with the whales, we get back on the boat where Purnell is stoked. Turns out he knows these whales. This is uh, a group that we have been seeing here for the past month or two. I basically call them the strangers. They have not been named as yet individually. But the two animals that we just swam with are, one of, are two of the best animals in the unit. So what we're going to do is we're going to keep tracking them. So, so that that By like, best, Purnell means they're the most interactive with humans. And he has another observation for us, too. The one that was closest to us, uh, she's pregnant. How can you tell? Uh, you can see how uh, the, like, the belly area gets like elongated uh, in, in, in width. How many people out there can tell when a sperm whale is pregnant? <laughs> uh, I would say not very many. Part of the reason um, Purnell's so excited about this particular whale is because he witnessed an amazing moment with her recently. Early on in the month, we had a trip, uh, and there was this pregnant lady on board the trip. And I was really skeptical and curious at the same time as to um, how the whales were going to react to her being in the water. And we so happened to encounter the same group of whales that we presently have now. And that encounter with the pregnant lady was phenomenal. It's like the whale knew that she was pregnant and she was like, okay, I'm going to hang with you because we're on the same page and we're going to roll and lime together. The sperm whale project keeps track of hundreds of individual whales identifying them by marks on their flukes and fins. They even have an online fluke book showing who's related to whom. New whales will often be named for some defining physical feature. But honestly, the system's pretty whimsical, as Purnell explained it to me during another part of our trip. Uh, for example, in Unit A, we have Lady Oracle, Alan, which is a young male. We got Rhonda, we got Aurora, which, which is a young calf. Uh, we got... Uh, Acra as, as well, which is a young calf. Uh, we got Snow Woman, that's Unit A. Uh, we got Fruit Salad as well in Unit A. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the group of seven, we have like Pinchy, uh, Fingers, uh, Digit. In the utensils, we have Can Opener, Fork, Knife. Okay. And they all have unique formations on the fluke, that's why we name them like that. What's fruit, fruit salad's unique formation? Oh, well, that one came from, uh, I guess, the guys were having lunch on the boat. Oh. <laughs> they were having a salad and they just named it fruit salad. <laughs> all the whales have individual personalities. For example, Purnell never gets in the water with fork or knife because they just don't like it. Digit, on the other hand, is a total cut-up who loves to horse around. 
An hour after the pregnant stranger sounded, we positioned ourselves about a mile away in the direction she was headed. She should be up any time, so Purnell puts the hydrophone in the water. And sure enough, he can hear her somewhere. I have a slow clicking wheel. Coders. That is south of us. South, southwest. Coders are combinations of clicks, almost like Morse code. Each clan of whales shares its own unique dialect of codas, which are passed down to their kids. It's part of their identity. Based on the volume, the pregnant stranger seems to be very close. Purnell hands me his headphones so I can listen. You want to listen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a little banging. Okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Suddenly, the stranger pops out of the water right behind the bed. Right on cue, right on cue, right on cue, right on cue, boy. Yeah, you nailed oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> no joke, she's coming to the boat. We barely have time to hop in the water before she's on us. And this time, she's not going anywhere. She parks, unless the four of us swim around her. Ten minutes go by. Fifteen. Then she does a half spin pirouetting in the water. Somehow she has such precise body control that she does it without smacking any of us. I definitely get the sense that she's being careful not to hurt us. She goes vertical in the water and opens her mouth. Galen is floating directly above her, shooting down. You know the classic poster of Jaws with the woman on the surface and the giant shark shooting straight up at her? It kind of looks like that. She's got teeth like a T-Rex, and Galen is practically in her mouth, photographing scars left from battles with squid. And all I can think is that this whale eats things for breakfast that are a lot bigger than Galen. But then the water fills with rapid-fire clicks, as if someone is waving a Geiger counter around my head. She's scanning us with her sonar. It's like ultrasound. She can probably see our bones. Can conceivably tell if we're scared or elated. Whatever's going on feels intimate. Eventually, her huge eye falls on me, and we stare into each other. It is not a warm and fuzzy moment. From three feet away, I feel the chasm between us. I sense profound intelligence, but also profound otherness. Why are you here? I want to ask her. And maybe she wants to ask me the same. However awkward this relationship, it feels like there's something there. And it matters that we get it right. Then again, I don't know. In the days to come, we'll encounter dozens of whales. Purnell will get his data. Galen will get her shots. But none of those experiences will be like this one. Most of those whales will swim away from us. Even the pregnant stranger will give us the cold shoulder when we see her again, which feels kind of crushing, like not getting asked on a second date, even though you thought the first went pretty well. I find myself rethinking our eye-to-eye moment. I was ready to give her my phone number, to ask for her coda. But I guess whatever she saw, she didn't need a second look. That's Rowan Jacobson. He produced this episode, which was also produced and edited by me, Michael Roberts, with music by Robbie Carver. Rowan's feature story about his journey to the waters off Dominica is in the June-July print issue of Outside Magazine. You can also read it online at outsideonline.com. Galen Rosenwax is planning to complete her film this fall. You can learn more about her work at galenrosenwax.com. That's G-A-E-L-I-N 
G-A-Y-L-E-N-R-O-S-E-N-W-A-K-S.com. Follow her on social media at Galen Go Explore. This episode was brought to you by Avocado Green Mattress, makers of 100% organic certified mattresses and more products, like their new meditation pillow. Visit avocadomattress.com to learn more and to save $175 on any mattress, use the code OUTSIDE175 at checkout. That's OUTSIDE175 at checkout. We'll be back in two weeks.